All right, welcome to the State of the Lakers presented by Dash Radio. Thank you guys so much for coming to hang out on this is going to be a Thursday, Thursday evening, I guess. This is part two of our postgame show from Pacers-Lakers, starting with Raj and I breaking down some stuff with Russell Westbrook and then getting back into kind of like a eulogy for Frank, uh, just remembering you know all the things that he did really well while he was here, which then turned ironic when we discovered live on the show that he was at least going to be staying with the team long enough to fly to Orlando. So that's all in this pod. As always, we appreciate your guys' support, and we will see you for the postgame show on Friday night after the Magic game. But I think this is a good transition to Russ um, because, you know, <clears throat> the one rotation decision he made tonight that I agree with was him pulling Russ. And this is something that we've talked about a lot on the show here in recent weeks. And it's, just, it's a basic concept. Like, I, I shared out Russ's shot chart. The dude can't make anything around the basket, okay? He's shooting, I think coming into tonight, he was at like 58% within three feet of the rim. That's a horrible number, guys. That's not a good number. I know it sounds efficient in the grand scheme of things, but to literally miss almost half of the shots that you attempt at the rim is an atrocious number, and it vastly undercuts the positive impacts of his rim pressure. And, like, what, what do I always say, guys? Like, when you're, when you're – to, to be a positive perimeter basketball player, you have to be able to do – you have to be a triple threat. You have to be able to shoot. You have to be able to drive. And you have to be able to make reads when teams send help your way. And the thing with Russ is he can't shoot. When he drives, he can't finish. And when it comes to making reads against bad teams when he's passing to areas, he can have some success. But he really struggles making reads against good teams that take away what he's good at and take away his easy reads. That's why he has all these horrible turnover games. But again, this, this is what's so bad, Raj. One of my consistent themes has been like, you know, Russ sucks against good teams. Like Russ can't score, can't do anything to contribute against a good team. Well, he's starting to have these nights against bad teams too. And that's a really bad sign. This is the last thing I'll say, and then I'll kick it over to you, Raj. Sure. There was, there was a meme that became famous a couple of years ago. I think it was shortly after his time in Houston. Do you guys remember there was like a timeline? Okay. And in the timeline, <laughs> it's like, it's like a calendar timeline. And at the beginning, it's like, it's Russell Westbrook. And it's like, at the beginning, it's like, this is the worst basketball player of all time. And then in the middle, there's a little stretch where it's like, oh, question mark. And then there's like another stretch where it's like, this is the best basketball player of all time. <laughs> and then there's the final end where it all becomes a disaster. It goes right back to the beginning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that meme is now completely inaccurate because where's the stretch where he's the best basketball player of all time? Does that stretch exist? Because I see him getting worse and worse on a night-to-night basis. And it's just, it's just the unfortunate reality of the predicament. Now, I understand this is something that I've talked about a lot in, in recent weeks. It's going to be extremely difficult to trade Russ because nobody's going to want him. It is going to take a great deal of circumstances falling in the Lakers' lap to break their way in order for a team to be willing to take on Russ's salary and to send back filler. But there's a reason why Frank benched Russ. There's a reason why in the Utah Jazz game we had our best moments without Russ. There's a reason why Dwight Howard and Russ on the floor don't work with the two of them together because of that combined lack of shooting. And there's a reason why I've been pushing for this so far. It's because even if you got crap back for Russ, if it's crap that can play a, a, some kind of role on this team, not the Russ role, but rather similar roles to what Kuzma and KCP filled, even if they do it at 70% of the rate that those guys did, this would be a better team. 
It's time to cut the losses. It's time to understand that this was a mistake and the team needs to move forward. Now, it's going to be difficult. It's very possible that this can't happen this deadline. What I'm advocating for is if it's possible, it needs to be done because there's nothing to be gained by going down with the ship. That, that's just a matter of pride. At that point, like that's just, that's just cutting off your nose to spite your face. It would make way more sense to just acknowledge the reality of the situation Russ isn't a very good basketball player anymore. He's not going to raise your ceiling against good teams. Now he's actively hurting you against bad teams. Just because he made a handful of threes, it's almost like the worst thing that could happen because he's going to start shooting them even more. It, it's just, it's, it's been an absolute disaster on that front. And again, just like with Frank, it's not the only reason the Lakers are bad, but it's one of the reasons. And everything that went out in that trade is part of that reason as well. But that's just, that's where I'm at with Russ, man. This is just another, another, Dude, that shot chart is absurd. He can't put the ball in the basket, Raj. He can't uh, well, do it anymore. It's interesting because I've been, you know, I've been kind of charting this and and looking at this, uh, rewatching the games and stuff. And this is the first time, obviously, that Vogel has pulled Russ, right? And I didn't think he would pull him in a game. Like, I didn't even think it would happen halfway through the season. But it's been a progression of what I've been seeing. And we've been slowly and slowly, we've been removing Russ from, like, what we do structurally right? Like in terms of what we run on offense, go watch these games. And he is just parked on the weak side. He is parked in the dunker spot off the ball. We're running off offense through THT fully through LeBron as a screener or LeBron with the ball. Avery Bradley even runs actions. Like we have moved Russell Westbrook so much off the ball. And I think that you're even seeing this in his shot shot selection as well. Right. And again, I think he had, uh, he had one turnover tonight. So we're getting the low turnover games, but sometimes we're getting even worse shots. You're seeing these one leg fadeaways because that's the only place that he's kind of... Raj, a one-legged fadeaway is the hardest basketball shot I've ever tried to learn. It is an impossible <laughs> shot. I, like, it's amazing that Kevin Durant is as good at it as he is. For Russ to be taking that as that bad of a jump shooter is literally the worst case of... Uh, the worst lack of self-awareness I've ever seen. Right, and so, you know, and he's taking these because, like, look, Jason, his only time that he's getting offensive, like, positions is in transition, you know, where he has a little bit of an advantage against a one-on-one against a player that he can physically overpower or we're clearing a side for him to attack on, right? So we're like, if he's gonna, if he's on the left side, we throw everyone to the right side. And it's a clear out where he can attack the rim or, you know, shoot that little bank shot. That That's pretty much it. We have gone away pretty much from Russ screen and roll. He ran a few with LeBron tonight, a couple with Dwight. But other than that, we've kind of gone away from Russ as the ball. How did he shoot so much then, man? <laughs> he gets it, and it's, a, it's rogue possessions. Jason, like, okay, so someone has the ball. We run an action through Malik Monk, through LeBron. The ball swings because... You know, Russ's guy plays off him because that's what everything's going to do. So when we park Russ in the weak side where that's kind of the toughest place to kind of hell off, right? He's all the way on the weak side. So even if you park his guy into the paint, it still doesn't kind of impact the offensive action. But still, so he gets the ball and then that's where he kind of go rogue, play in isolation, play uh, attack his matchup there. But like he's to me, we're moving him more and more off the ball. And I think uh, we're kind of seeing that as well in the minutes. Uh, he played 26 minutes against Utah, 26 minutes again tonight. Uh, against, uh, I already forgot who though we played, uh, Indiana, 26 minutes again tonight against Indiana. Like his minutes are going down. His possessions of the basketball are going down. And I've been a proponent of it. It's just wild to watch it in real time. And uh, it's interesting. I think this is the way to best use, you know, Russell Westbrook's skill set, put him um, where he's attacking an already compromised defense. And that's 
maybe better in theory than it is in actuality when you're watching the ball game. But it's interesting, man. We're, we're watching this progression of how we're using Russell Westbrook. And when AD comes back, he'll be even more, right, subjected to uh, less possessions, subjected to less offensive possessions that are surrounded by him. We're run, we've moved to non-Braun and Russ lineups. Remember in the offseason, we're like, oh, we're going to have one of Russ or Braun on the floor all the time. We have moved to lineups without both of them. We are get, That's crazy. We, we would ra- and again, not this, I don't want this to be a full referendum on Russ because I don't think that's what it is. But, you know, we're, we would rather just have Malik Monk and Taylor Horton Tucker get these possessions. Get these, you know, ball screen possessions where the floor is open, where Stanley's at the five. Let those, let them run action. They've been good, Jason. They have been carrying us for for these last few games. So I think the Russ conundrum is interesting, but I'm still on the he's not going anywhere, you know. And I think there's ways to kind of, you know, put him still in better positions. And if you, I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. Hold on. I'm going to put I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. Let's say Oklahoma City or some team. Not Oklahoma City. I don't think they have the salaries to match. Let's say Orlando calls and they go we want Russ we want to sell tickets we'll give you you know Terrence Ross and you know some combination of of salaries and oh but you're gonna have to give us a first round pick whatever so let's say a Russ trade does materialize would you pull the trigger yes or no man that that's so tough to decide man and maybe like uh, maybe that's the course of action here I would, you know, I think the team and who cares, you know, what I think, like, I think the team would still like to see what Russ, Braun and AD look like as a collective. I also think it's just a bad look, though, right? You trade five or four players, three of them super high rotation guys for Russell Westbrook over the summer, including a first round pick. And then you dump them to Orlando, you know, how many months later, four or five months later for who'd you say? Terrence Ross and. Well, I, I I put the trade together a while oh, back. Okay. There's a combination okay. of salaries. Yeah. That I can't remember what it is. I I just don't. I just like okay. So in those. But okay. So is it not a bad look also to go down with the ship? Like, dude, you know, Raj, he's gonna shoot this poorly in the paint in the playoffs, if not worse, when defenses are really dialed in and scheming to what he likes to do. This is going to get worse. Yeah. There's no, I I just what have we seen? this season that would lead you to believe that Russell Westbrook is going to be a successful and productive basketball player for us in a postseason series against a good basketball team to give me one thing. Is it okay? I'll, I'll give you one thing. Playmaker. He's, he's been a decent playmaker for us this season mm-hmm. in our week schedule against mostly bad basketball teams, but in the games that we've played against good basketball teams that hasn't translated. So again, I, I it, like literally today in the fourth quarter, there was a play where he worked into the lane, bricked the jump shot, ran down the floor and got absolutely dusted by Karis LeVert on the perimeter for a layup. Mm-hmm. It's like he is actively hurting us on both ends of the floor. Yeah, it's it's it is it is again. I get it. OK, like I said, that's why I bring up the pride thing. It will look bad to trade Russ. That will be the equivalent of LeBron and 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 uh, Rob Palinka and Anthony Davis basically admitting like we screwed up. Yeah, we screwed up bad. But my thing is like, dude, like I don't view that as a sign of weakness. I view that as a sign of strength when someone's willing to look in the mirror and be like, this didn't work. So yeah. this happened than- to a smaller extent, right? In 2018, it wasn't to this level, but it was definitely like, oh, this roster we built. Bring in, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about that team. They brought in Isaiah Thomas, right, that year. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and, you know, Isaiah Thomas was supposed to be like the, and Isaiah Thomas wasn't healthy, so it's not the same apples apples, you know, comparison. But it's interesting kind of the similarities there, right? The Isaiah Thomas-LeBron fit wasn't what they thought it would be, and they ship half that roster out. So that could happen. I don't think you're wrong there. I just like, 
that's not like I don't see Orlando doing that deal, right? Like I don't see any team being like, okay, yeah, it's not likely, right? Right. Mm -hmm. It's not likely. I'm just saying, like in the universe where that materialized, right? Mm -hmm. I I am a firm believer that the Lakers would have to take that. So they would have to, and I I think they have to do their due diligence to try. Okay. You know, and 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 my thing is like like again like I there was a point here this season about what, like 20, 25 games in where like, you're looking at this and you're like, Russ has been okay. Yeah. You know, like he was really bad in that stretch to start the season and uh, like was, had some really rough moments like the, you know, the OKC losses for instance, you know, but like there was that little stretch there, like 10, 15 games. You're like, Hmm, like this, there's, this is okay. Like he's not bad, but the dirty little secret there is we were playing bad teams, Raj. Sure. We were, we were, we were playing bad teams and he was also shooting abnormally. Well, he was shooting like 37% or something like that on wide open threes, which has since cratered uh, until tonight at least. But like, again, like, like my thing there is like outside of that little stretch where he was okay, not even really good, just like, okay, like, okay enough that you could look back and be like, he's not the reason why they're struggling, mm-hmm. you know, but outside of that stretch, it's been all bad. It's been all bad, Raj. Yeah, no, you're you're not wrong there, and I think you know he's facing his mortality. I, I keep saying that, and the adjustment really hasn't come. We're trying to make him, you know, this. We're trying to make Russell Westbrook not Russell Westbrook, right? Like we're we're turning him mm-hmm. into this low turnover, you know, guard. And when you do that, it's great. You get the no turnovers, but the domino effect is then created, right? You create this domino effect of like a guy who's you know way more. Uh, concerned about what, where his shot and pass comes from than he's ever had to be. And no, so now you're getting these terrible shots again, these mid-range pull-ups. Those are the ones, to me, you have to take out. I Like, the misses at the rim, what they are, if they're at the volume that they're at, I can live with that. The issue is when you compound that, when you compound that with the, you know, in-transition, dribble, contested pull-up jumper, or, you know, he had that three-pointer where he got the offensive foul on, I believe, where he, like, uh, I think he hit Tory Craig in the face. Like mm-hmm. those are the shots that we can't have. Like when a defender flies under a screen, I honestly think like you know his form is okay on those. When he gets a little you know jump stop pull up, uh, like that that's probably where he's best. But then like the four for six from three is going to be a super anomaly. Obviously you're not going to get that every night. But yeah, like it's been rough for sure. And I've always said like there's process that you want to build here, and the contract is what it is. To me, I know you're ready to cut bait, and that might be. And to me, I think that bait is going to be cut in the summer. Uh, wh- whatever happens here, unless they win a title, but I think that bait is going to be cut. But like, there's places we have to fit them, and we're we're doing that now, and it's going to look ugly, and it's looked ugly for a lot of this season. But it's the best way to put it, man. And you might be right. You know, you can trade Russ for some minimum guys. I just think that's that that's such a tough decision for a front office to make mid season because you're gonna obviously you're gonna. You're going to lose everything that you kind of did, and maybe that's the way you have to go. But, man, I, I don't know. It, it, the rust fit definitely has been ugly. I just – I think when AD comes back, hopefully that kind of fits guys in the right place. But it, it hasn't been pretty, man. And we're, we're seeing the progression to moving rust more and more off ball, which is not what we thought over the summer. The whole point of bringing rust in was to give LeBron the uh, more off ball actions, which he's done, but it's been with, like, Malik Monk and THT instead of, you know, instead of with Russell Westbrook. Mm-hmm. So it's such a – such an interesting kind of situation we we're in right now. Yeah. So I wanted to say one thing about Russ before we can move on to maybe, maybe you and I can try to find a shred of positivity in this somewhere, but uh, you know, so Pete from Laker film room had a really interesting uh, a point that he made in the podcast today when he was referencing the predicament that Frank Vogel was put in this year. And his point was basically like, 
look at the first year LeBron came. It was like, let's get Paul George. And then when Paul George failed, it was like, let's bring in all these playmakers, you know, Lance Stevenson and Rajon Rondo, so on and so forth. And then when that didn't work, the, the, you know, they traded everything for, for Anthony Davis. And then their uh, initial goal was to get Kawhi Leonard with that. Right. You know, because, because again, like this is the dirty little secret about LeBron throughout his career. You know, there's some detractors of his that like to kind of paint him as a ball hog, but the dirty little secret about LeBron is he, he wants to give the ball up. Like he wants to have his, you know, third slash half of the game that he's on the floor where he controls everything. But in the rest of that half, like he wants to have spot up possessions. He wants to have possessions where he can cut and, do things like that. Why? Because that's been part of the tale of LeBron's career. He likes to rest while he's on the court. And the only way he can feel comfortable doing that is if he can give the ball to somebody else and have them make a play. And yeah. that, is ext- that is extended year after year because it happened even when they traded Danny Green for Dennis Schroeder and then finally culminating with the Russell Westbrook trade. The thing that I uh, the disagree about with that particularly is with this team construct without Russell Westbrook, or, or excuse me, like, yeah, if you take Russell Westbrook out of the picture, mm-hmm. like just for a second here as I try to paint this picture, this is not the same type of style offensively that LeBron is used to playing. So traditionally over the course of LeBron's career, guys who played off the ball were not, you know, really, they weren't guys who would make plays. You know, they were more like specialists, you know, mm-hmm. like your, your Kyle Corvers or your Shane Battier's or you know, Mike Miller's those, those types of players. And so they were dynamic, right? Not yeah, dynamic. Exactly. So mm-hmm. with those types of guys, you had to have playmaking guys that can generate high quality shots for those guys. But this is why I'm such a big believer in modern basketball. This is something that we talked about a ton after that Phoenix sun series last year, this idea of high level closeout attacking in a five out dribble drive and attack offense. It's kind of important for everybody to be able to do that kind of stuff, right? And so the, I, the irony in all of this, as we saw in that Jazz game, is the Lakers actually have a lot of guys who can do that already. Like THT can put the ball on the floor and make stuff happen. I thought he had one of his best games as a pro tonight. Which is incredible. There's a single line of guys. But anyway, the, uh, but Austin Reeves, like he's you know an extremely intelligent basketball player that can – put the ball on the floor and make plays for people. You know, Stanley Johnson, we talked about a lot in the last pod about his basketball background and how that bred his ability to make things happen with the ball in his hands with a live dribble. And then obviously Malik Monk is, is like literally like the modern generation's microwave, you know? So like we have guys that can do that. So in this, in this scheme now with our personnel running a modern five out attack, guess what, LeBron, you don't have to have somebody at the top of the key running high pick and roll 25 times in a row to generate quality shots for standstill shooters. That's not the need anymore. So I understand that coming in here in 2018, you felt the need for playmaking. I understand that. But with the direction the game is going and with the types of players you already have on this team with that youthful lineup that I just talked about, you don't need that anymore. And Anthony Davis is coming back and chances are you're going to end up upgrading THT to somebody who's even a little bit more polished and, and, and mature, you know? So like my thing is like the Lakers don't need Russ anymore. Why? Because they don't need to throw the ball to one guy in every non LeBron possession and have him create everything. 
what they actually need is, hey, LeBron, like on the possessions you want to rest on the floor, just start in the corner and, you know, have Malik or THT be the guy who initially breaks down the defense. And then you, yeah, you might have to do a little bit more. You might have to do some closeout attacking, but that's easier on your legs than doing what you have to do. And you yourself, LeBron, you don't have to do that anymore. You have to be. wide open shots for your uh, uh, for your teammates anymore. You can literally do what you did against Utah. Set ball screens and roll to the basket while somebody else goes to work because of the anatomy of the way modern basketball is played. So that's kind of like the philosophy that I think that the Lakers need to come to terms with here. Like Russ would have made more sense if you had really traditional 3 and D specialists parked in the corner that did all the dirty work and just sat there and shot threes all day long. That would have made more sense, but that's just not the construct of this team. And in theory, like, man, Russ would have been a devastating five-out player back in 2017, but he's just not that guy anymore. Back in 2017, Russ would have been an amazing fit with this team. But those days are gone, and now it's a bad fit. And so that's why I'm saying, like, like understand when we talk about the good team that lies here, it's a good team that is beneath the surface that doesn't really have anything to do with Russ. And, and that's why he needs to be viewed as, you know, somebody that needs to get, be gotten rid of for lack of a better term. Yeah. And, you know, the interesting part of that is like, we've the, you know, LeBron AD with three and D players or even D and three players. Like that's a, that's a proven formula, right? Like that's something that we've seen work already once, um, even last year a little bit. Dennis Schroeder is a little bit differently, but he's still, you know, a defensive type of player who doesn't command the amount of uh, uses, obviously, that Russ would usually command. That's a, you know, that's a formula that's worked and has been proven. And this is a whole new experiment. And how much of this was, you know, LeBron pushing for this? How much of it was, you know, the front office? Something, you know, we'll never know. But again, like I say, like maybe if you can cut bait with Russ, I understand it. I just, I don't see it happening, you know, during the season, which I'm just trying to find ways, I guess, to work around it. And we've, We've started to do that already at a pace that I just did not expect. But Jason, we're halfway through the season, and we've already, you know, cut Russ out of most of our offensive actions. Like that, like that's pretty much what's happened. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, Frank Vogel's kind of understood uh, where he needs to put, like how we need to kind of work offensively with Russ. But I don't know, man. It's gonna be, a, it's gonna be a kind of uphill climb here. Hopefully, when AD comes back, we can kind of build some kind of rhythm with it. Because I just don't think he's going anywhere. I don't see a trade happening and you might be right like maybe you know if Russ isn't playing we could just play full three and D but that's a lot on you know LeBron's plate even with the other ball handlers we have so it's a it's a tough kind of thing to juggle here I don't I don't know where we go though like this is I feel like our coach is going to be gone tomorrow and then we're going to start brand new like uh, like we're going to start brand new we'll see if they if they hire in-house and stuff like that but the Russ stuff is tough man I, I understand where you're at here you're at the let's just jump off the ship um, I just think like this is not a ship. This is like a bed that's like clung to the floor until you know six until six or seven months. Like that's how I <laughs> like I just that's how I see it. This is a bed that's you know chained to the ground, and we're gonna lay in this. Uh, like I said before, that you know that that saying you made your bed, you lay in it. We're gonna lay in this until you know after the playoffs to me, and that's kind of when you can kind of make decisions on the roster. This roster has flipped three times. I would bet on it flipping again. Uh, this summer, <laughs> yeah. so, you know maybe so, this deadline too. Uh, maybe this deadline as well, if we can kind of uh, manufacture anything there. I just think Russ is going to be on the team. The vocal quotes are super interesting, though, man. A, a guy who's super diplomatic went and said, uh, you know, I 
why did I bench Russ? Because I wanted to win. That is a that's an that's a crazy quote crazy quote from from your head coach. But I don't know. I don't have any answers there. And you might be right that move. It's time to move on. I just don't think that time is going to be this deadline. Did you have anything else on your list you wanted to hit before we called it a night? Man, I you know my first half notes were a lot of like, oh man, we're you know going small. We're we're starting to switch more. There's you know there's some positive stuff we're seeing. Burn it all. Burn it all. There's nothing. <laughs> you got to start all over from. Uh, I guess I think we play in Orlando. Ironically, you brought up the Orlando trade. We play Orlando next, and we'll see if we can kind of get that win. We'll see if Frank Vogel's the coach still during that time. What a chaotic, what a chaotic season, man. Oh man, it's absolutely outrageous. I'm uh, looking really quick because I wanted to double check the uh, to see if that uh, Stanley Johnson, THT, Reeves, Monk, and LeBron lineup played any minutes tonight. So I'm checking really quick. Uh, like I think I think THT deserves a shout out. Like I mentioned oh, yeah. on Twitter in his last six games, 13 points on 60% true shooting. He's showing lots of defensive flashes. He was amazing against Donovan Mitchell, against the Jazz. He had a lot of big defensive plays tonight. He's playing himself into being a legitimate um, uh, trade asset. I, I, I still think we're at the point where even though he's playing better, I think the Lakers are so desperate for talent that they have to consider um, you know, using him, but it's yeah. definitely something to keep in mind. It feels like we have two separate teams, right? We have this like older group and then we have this young group that comes in and plays hard and LeBron kind of uh, plays on both teams, which is, which is really interesting. Uh, but that's what it feels like. THC was awesome though. It looks like he's getting his feel back. You know, his drives are under, are under more control. He had that drive today where he lobbed it to Malik Monk, uh, just a lot more in control with his dribble and his actions. And, uh, he's definitely, you know, moving forward, moving up, maybe the, you know, COVID stuff. And I think he had the hand injury as well was kind of holding him down, but his jumper's starting to be there too. I think he had two threes tonight. He was awesome. It just, you know, it sucks to, that he's starting to build while the team is kind of crashing down again, but you know, shout out to THC, another good night for him. All right, guys, before we get out of here, I got, I got the numbers for you. So that volume. Let me guess. Hold on. Let me guess. Hold on. Take so, a while. Guess, Ross. Throw get, a number out guess. there. So the lineup you're talking about is Reeves, Monk. Reeves, Reeves, THT, Monk, Johnson, LeBron. Okay. I, I'm going to guess they played five minutes tonight. Bagel, Raj. They played zero minutes. No way. They played Man. zero minutes tonight. The lineup that beat the Utah Jazz in, on Monday played zero minutes. Frank, Frank Vogel dug his own grave, man. I, I don't know what else to tell you. That's absolutely yeah. outrageous. That is completely inexcusable. Yeah, that no, is I'm, that is a fireable offense. I'm with you, and and then you 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 know you split that up. Uh, Carmelo Anthony, 30 minutes. Avery Bradley, 25 minutes. Just that that's a, not a winning formula, especially when you need to switch everything. Kind of goes against. We dove into this already enough. It's oh, dude, it's outrageous. All right, guys. Well, we're uh, we probably should sleep on this. I think this entire <laughs> podcast was was mostly yelling. <laughs> so, like, I feel like I feel like Richard Sherman after knocking away the thing from Michael Crabtree. I'm just way too emotional to be doing any sort of of uh, public speaking at this point. But anyway, guys, this is going to air on Dash Radio tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It will. I will also piece together the crashed spaces and this one and put them on our podcast feed. That should be live in about an hour or so. Um, but we're blown away by the support as always. I know this is crazy and super discouraging, but there is a good team in here somewhere. They just have to actually play the players that are good. I don't know. I, my guess is by the time we're talking on Friday, Roz, we're going to have Vogel out of the picture. 
And we're going to um, be talking yeah. about, we're going to be talking about Fizdale and we're going to be talking it could like, and who knows, maybe Fizdale will come back on Friday and start playing Deandre Jordan again. And we'll all just be like, like literally ready to, to, to just quit. Um, uh, but you know, it's, it's been a rough go, but I do, I do have a feeling that there is some sort of run in this team. It's just going to be a matter of whether or not they ever tap into that. Well, um, really, really quick before we, before we close and, you know, if this is the, I don't know if this is the eulogy of Frank Vogel as a coach, but that he's not a bad coach, right? Like he might just not be the fit for this team, but you that's know, a great that, point. That doesn't mean Frank Vogel is a bad coach. It doesn't mean his philosophies aren't correct. It doesn't mean his defensive philosophies don't have, you know, an imprint on the game uh, with the correct lineups and stuff, but this might just not be this, this just might not be the team for him. There's just a disconnect maybe between him, the front office, superstar, whatever, uh, between their value systems. And maybe that's just what it is. But Frank Vogel's a good coach, and he's going to you know, be in the NBA for a very long time, even if uh, it's not uh, here. So I just wanted to give that shout-out. His adjustments in the playoffs I thought were excellent defensively. So I so I give him a shout-out because uh, it was a lot of negativity towards him today. And I, you know, I think he's a good coach that maybe just doesn't fit this team. I'm going to save my eulogy for Friday because I don't know if I can muster up the proper <laughs> – uh, list of words. I mean, you said it yourself, man. Like he, he, because of his rigid approach, he's, he's best with a team that has a talent set that fits his scheme. He was too stubborn the whole time. And he never leaned, like, even when he wanted to lean into the approach that we were talking about, he even talked about in the pressers about how he was fighting the urge to go back. Remember that after that, uh, I can't even remember. Was at the Minnesota game? Like that, that, that's been the story of, of Frank's time here. He's been stubborn and, and slow to make changes. And, and I think it cost him his job and it's the unfortunate circumstance. He's not the only thing to blame. There's so much more to blame, you know, but I'll say, I'll say one last thing about this. And this is a, this is something that uh, my friend, our friend Vinay pointed out to me in a conversation earlier today. Effort has been one of the biggest problems for the Lakers this year. That goes without saying but effort is almost always directly tied to, you know, kind of like an exchange, right? Like you're exchanging work for results. Like if I'm going to do a thing that's hard, hard to do, then I expect results to follow. And so one of the biggest things that I think, one of the things that I, that I think bit uh, Frank Vogel in the ass this year is, you know, it was hard for him to get the guys to play hard because of the fact that his schemes never really made sense with the personnel that he was playing and the personnel was failing. And I think that those things are directly tied to each other. Like it's, I I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think it's a coincidence that the switchy big wing lineups that played five out basketball played harder than the traditional drop coverage lineups that were ill suited for the scheme they were running. And those lineups always seem to be lethargic. And those lineups always seem to underperform to the alleged talent that they had on the floor. Those things are connected. And I, and I think like, again, that doesn't mean Frank's to blame for everything, but I do think that his fingers are in this pie quite a bit. And, and I think that I I don't think that he's blameless. And I think that, you know, I, I think that we, Raj, we, we've done our part, man. Like we gave, we talked, we gave him so much slack well, we talked talk so much about the good things that he brings to the table. We tried really hard to stay positive, and it just it wasn't. It got to the point where it was too much. Well, here's here's my last question for you, and we'll, we can close out on this because I know we're going a little long here. We're both guys, you know. We try to rewatch these games, and you know, Phil Frank Vogel is not a guy who came up because he had family in the NBA. He's not a guy who played in the NBA at all, right? So his come up was all 
through the film and not saying like guys like that come up. It's just like Frank Vogel's story, right? Is a guy who worked in the film room, started as a video editor, a guy who started in the video room, film room, worked his way up each and every spot to become the head coach. Everything he got was earned. So my question to you is like, this is the part that I struggle with. Like you watch DeAndre Jordan, you know, do the same thing 30 million times, not give effort defensively. And yet he continued to start him. So that's like my disconnect here. Like we all watch the same tape. We all watch the same film. Where is that? disconnect coming from because there's no way in hell to me i don't care what you think about frank vogel there's no way he's not seeing deandre jordan you know take as i say take the path of least resistance on every play right so anytime that and and frank vogel is a guy his big is supposed to be active and, and activity and all that so that's the, like that's my last question to you like where's that disconnect i guess because that's where i'm like that was been that has been my biggest like where I give Frank Vogel credit. Now, tonight, the Avery Bradley stuff, you know, the Carmelo Anthony stuff is just unforgivable, not playing the small ball. But the DeAndre Jordan has been, like, was the first kind of stone to be thrown, right? The first kind of, like, hey, what the hell are you doing? Why is DeAndre Jordan starting 23 games? Like, we've had enough data to see that this just doesn't make any sense. And now DeAndre Jordan is, you know, uh, on the bench, riding the bench along with Ken Bazemore. But that's where, like, I'm wondering there, because as a film nut that Frank Vogel is, he obviously is a guy who, you know, lives in the film room. What is that disconnect to where, like, okay, he's seeing this, yet still, you know, being stubborn and going to the same things? That's my last, I guess, question to you there. Well, I, I, my suspicion would be that it's primarily tied to his philosophies, mixed with the fact that the Lakers have consistently wanted to keep Dwight Howard off the bench. That's been a theme ever since... He signed that non-guaranteed deal two years ago just because of his attitude issues. They were under the impression that if they kept him coming off the bench, they could kind of keep him focused on his dirty work responsibilities. Rather, if you start him, it could feed his ego and convince him that he's more important than he actually is and get him outside of his role. You know, kind of like the guy who took that random pull up three against Denver at the start of the second half. Like those are the kinds of things that I think wanted the Lakers or led the Lakers to want to have Dwight come off the bench, which inherently forces you to start DeAndre Jordan. I think it's primarily philosophy, but conspiracy theory, you know, it's possible that he's under a great deal of pressure with these decisions. Like, I mean, if like, it's got, it's a little bit of like a, of like a, you know, a double take situation for him to bench Russ in his last game as the Lakers head coach, like probably, probably last game, I should say the, the, that very well could be an example of, of Vogel just kind of demonstrating to us that if he had it his way, he might've done things differently, but he might've been under some internal pressure. I'm not sure. I don't think that's the case. I'm just generally as a human being, I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist, uh, I, yeah. but, but like that, that's certainly something that is like worth entertaining but my guess is it's primarily tied to his philosophy. And, you know, that's the thing. Like, like Frank's, you know, Frank was a damn good coach. This is something you and I talked a lot about over the course of the last three years. There was a, the famous story that I always say, uh, point out is allegedly at one point, LeBron and some other Lakers actually got up and gave him a round of applause after a defensive scouting session, uh, a film session where they were going over like their defensive game plan for an opponent. Like he is one of the best defensive game planners in the league. His adjustment of putting uh, Anthony Davis on Russell Westbrook in the Houston series completely swung that series. Cause Russ was having some success attacking mismatches against the Laker guards mm-hmm. in that, in that um, <clears throat> Denver series, the way he was using Dwight Howard on, uh, um, uh, on Nikola Jokic was very successful. And then guys like, like Frank Vogel's drop coverage scheme literally 
absolutely obliterated the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals when they actually did what he asked. In game one and game six, the two games that they ran it most proficiently, like they literally absolutely demolished the Miami Heat. So there's a reason why Frank believes in his schemes. There's a reason why he has faith there. And here's the thing, like if I was a Philly fan and for whatever reason Doc Rivers was out of the picture, I'd be sitting there like, "Mm, man, like he'd be perfect for us. There are teams around the league where Frank's scheming fits perfect. This just isn't one of them. This needs to be, this would, this would have been, this is where the Ty Lue thing gets kind of like ironic because Ty Lue might not have been the right coach for the 2020 Lakers, but he damn sure is the right coach for this team with him, with the, with what he's done with the Clippers, with his defensive scheming and his offensive approach, he'd be perfect there. So Frank's going to land on his feet. He's going to get another job elsewhere. I will always be a fan of Frank and what he brings to the table. He just, he was stubborn. He was so stubborn that he dug his own grave on, on this Laker team. And, you know, I, I've kind of oscillated back and forth on this a few times, but like when the news comes down tomorrow from Wojnowski or from whoever the hell it comes from that Frank is fired, I'm not going to feel sympathy for him because when you play 15 minutes against the Utah jazz with that lineup, go plus 18 and literally win the game. And then not even attempt to use that lineup again tonight. That is that is coaching malpractice, and at that point, you are showing me that you are too, that you're so damn stubborn that you actually look at that game and you think the winning stretch was a fluke and the losing stretch wasn't. So you default back to those things and hope for a different outcome. It's like it's like with all those advanced metrics with Avery Bradley earlier in the year when he was like, "Oh, I'm aware of the advanced metrics. I'm just I believe that they'll turn around." It's like that's his that's his philosophy. He doesn't actually care what happens on the scoreboard. He's he's more concerned with like what he thinks should happen on the scoreboard with an alleged group of players. And so he's he's so fixed on that concept that he'll literally stare data in the face. He will stare a scoreboard in the face and ignore the outcome because it doesn't match with what his personal philosophies are. And I, I'm it's like that 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 to me is that to me is is the final nail in the coffin, and, it, and it's unfor- it's unfortunate. Yeah, and, but like you know, to be just to be fair to Frank, like his philosophy paid off. Like it was rewarded. It, did. it, it was with rewarded. the right players. You know what I mean? Like it was rewarded with chance. No, just like just put like your shoe like on Frank Vogel's foot, right? Like his philosophy paid off into a championship team, and the front office decided to flip the roster, right? Like like just from him, and he's like, I'm gonna change. No, 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 Malik Monk, you're going to chase over ball screens. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, that's – and it, it's probably not the correct move. It's just what happened. And, you know, that's where, like, my sympathy comes in with this. And, again, he doesn't have Andy Davis for a lot of this year. And, you know, you can we've gone back and forth in terms of, like, the pauses and eggs and all that. But that's, like, where I kind of go back and forth as well. Because this is a guy whose philosophy's paid off. It's not like, you know, uh, you know people are talking about can the Mac, Mike D'Antoni offense win, right? You know what I mean? And Mike D'Antoni, everywhere he went, he took his offense with him. You know, James Harden turned into – Steve Nash turned into James Harden, turned into whoever it was in New York. Like, it's just that kind of, you know, was passed around because that's what, you know, coaches do. They believe in what they believe in. You go 20, 30 years with a philosophy, you're going to stick with that. And Frank Vogel was, you know, rewarded with it. And then uh, the team kind of flipped around him and he had to kind of adjust to that. And I'm not saying it's his fault. I would love to know, like, did Frank Vogel want to start Andre Drummond as much as we did? I don't know. I don't have answers to those questions. Does he want to start DeAndre Drummond as much as we did? I don't know. Don't have answers to those questions. You know what I mean? Was he for, you know, letting Crusoe walk for, for what we did? Like, I, that stuff, like, I don't know. I don't have answers to. All I know is I've, I know what Frank Vogel likes to do. 
I know what kind of stuff he likes to run, and it doesn't fit for this team. And that's just where we are in the crossroads. But that's where my kind of sympathy comes in from is that, like, he's a guy whose philosophy's paid off, and then we just stripped all of it and said start over. You know, and that that's tough. And even though it hasn't worked out and I've been annoyed at the lineup and stuff, I just want to keep that context here because I think it's important. Um, even whoever we go forward with, like, I think that context is important in terms of coach, star, and front office and walking in unison. And and that's kind of – and I don't see that's what's happening right now. Well, it's it's the perfect example, Raja. Like, it's if I picked two incredibly intelligent people just at random, there's a good chance that one of them would – align more with Republican political ideals and one would align with Democratic political ideals. Uh, really quickly, really quickly, I, I put that in. The, I saw that. I was going to go that route in a second. But um, my, my point is, is like it's possible for someone to be extremely intelligent and to be on the wrong side of something or on a different side of something absolutely. than someone else. And so that's the thing with Frank. Like Frank, this tonight is not an example of Frank being dumb. It's just an example of, you know, I could even argue it's just him being too smart for his own good and overthinking his, his own philosophies. But I, Raj, I, I was getting ready to go to bed. Uh, it, is, <laughs> it, is, it is after midnight here in, in Tucson, Arizona, but we have to keep going oh, for a man. few more minutes because of this news that Frank will... I couldn't wait till tomorrow morning. <laughs> Chris Haynes had to put this out, you know. Before they hop on the flight to Orlando, have they even left? You know, whatever arena. Uh, that, oh, actually, they were home tonight. What am I talking about? They're yeah. at, they were at Crypto Arena, so I don't even know. They're probably hopping on a flight, though. I mean, uh, either probably tomorrow morning. But it's like, you know, the thing is, is this was my initial takeaway when I saw that. This is the problem with hashing your shit out in the press. Yeah, which is which is one of my biggest pet peeves in general in sports when you see reported excuse me, one reporting one way or another and guys constantly trying to control the narrative one way or the other, because, you know, Frank probably leaked all that stuff out with the intention of controlling the narrative on his end. Like, Hey guys, I'm trying to coach the team and I've got this random ass failed coach sitting on, sitting in on my coaches meetings, trying to tell me what to do, telling me that Deandre Jordan should play more. And he's sharing that information to try to share his end of the perspective. Meanwhile, you also have Probably you probably have Rob Polinka leaking stuff about how LeBron was advocating for the Russell Westbrook trade, and then you, like there's this the the immediate leak the next day from the from the Rambus and and Bus Camp about how there's no plans to 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 get rid of of, of Frank Vogel at the moment, and it's so it's so like all of this dirty laundry is getting aired out in public because of this total shit show. Of a, of a season. And this is where we land now because now Frank does something has a night and the team has a night where it's like, Oh, like we actually have to make a coaching change. But now Ram, Rambus and bus are, are caught with their pants down because they just came out with a report the other day saying they're not going to do it. So it's like, like Raj, what is the point of putting, uh, uh, of putting Frank Vogel on that airplane tomorrow? What is the point of having him sit six rows away from Russell Westbrook after he just told the press that he didn't think he was capable of winning a game <laughs> oh, against the man. Indiana Pacers? Like, what's the point of all of that? Now, we're, now we're entering into teenager drama here. Like, this is like, 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 well, this is, this Frank is LA, even knows right? it's over. It's, it's LA. You're going to get drama. It's just, man, I, I feel like we've moved in so far away from the basketball and we're, we've gone into like all the stuff off of it, but it's interesting, man. I don't know. I don't like to me, like the, the report came out that, uh, and you know, you don't know who leaked it, whatever, but that, you know, they're evalu evaluating Frank on a day to day basis. 
that's absurd if that's true, right? And for 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 a coach, like a day to day basis for a coach is it just makes no sense to me. Like you know, just with the variation as basketball games go, and again, you can decide, you know, lineups, rotations, and those things can kind of uh, stumble over. But I don't know, like that. That's those are the time kind of reports that come out when your organization is going through some turmoil. Obviously, whenever LeBron's on the team, there's going to be an extra layer of drama and stuff. But did you see the LeBron quote tonight? No, what was it? Oh, the one about how the coaching staff set, yeah, the sets coaches. us up to succeed. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, coach is doing. Uh, LeBron, doing LeBron's job. not a LeBron's not a LeBron is not he. Are, but this is the funniest thing with the LeBron stuff. He somehow has a reputation of getting coaches fired, but when you look back, it's like Paul Silas, which was so early in his career, LeBron didn't have the power to get coaches fired, and then you know David Blatt, and then Luke Walton, who objectively was terrible and may or may not have been a rapist. So it's like, like they're like really the LeBron coach fire thing doesn't actually line up with reality. And so what's funny is like I could see LeBron just being like, I want to get as far away from this <laughs> as possible. Like if they get rid of him, it wasn't my decision because I'm not allowed, I'm not about to let that get on my resume. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know, man. I don't know where they go. And you know, whatever coach comes comes in it. Whatever coach comes in here, obviously they can fix, they can play better lineups. But there's a lot of stuff this team also has to figure out internally as well. The rust fit isn't, like I said, going anywhere. I don't care who you bring in. I don't care if you bring in Jeremy Grant uh, in the team, uh, you know, over the deadline. Like the rust fit has to get figured out. AD coming back has to be reintegrated. Like maybe they see it how I see it, you know, like Jason, that like firing Frank doesn't do much if you don't have a replacement ready, right? Like mm-hmm. maybe they do have a replacement ready. I don't know. I just, you know, people have brought up. Uh, Fisdale. Fisdale is just the easy decision. Right. You know, Phil Handy is another guy, zero coaching experience. I love Phil Handy, but you know, zero coaching experience jumping into this. So it's just fascinating. I don't know. And do you trust, I don't see the Lakers going off, go on going off on some extensive coaching search either, especially in the middle of the season. It's really tough. So the yeah, perfect like- guy for their five out attack would be Mike D'Antoni. I'm just not sure you can bring in a coach from outside the system in the oh, middle man. of the season to, to try to make that work. But he would be the perfect guy to optimize this roster offensively, and he would absolutely lean 1,000% into switching everything. Maybe. Uh, but, you know, Mike D'Antoni's defensive principles have been attacked. His uh, rigidness as well has been attacked, mm-hmm. right? His uh, ability to adjust in the playoffs is also an issue. My point only with that is there's no perfect option out there, right? There's oh, no absolutely perfect, not. There's yeah. no perfect answer. So it looks like Frank Vogel is going to survive another, you know, another game at least – um, they lose to Orlando. We'll be back here, I guess, to to relitigate all of the, of what we just said, I guess. Uh, but yeah, it looks like Frank Vogel is going to survive another day. I can't. I can't believe it, man. I can't believe it after all those quotes. Like, like I, I, if I'm Frank, like I'm, if Frank's probably like like uh, just pulling into his driveway at home and like getting the alert on the Chris Haynes tweet and be, like, oh my god, I have to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. It's gonna be tough. What? Be tough. How are they? How are they keeping me out? It's like that episode of Seinfeld where 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 George Costanza's trying to get fired by the New York Yankees, like like driving around the parking lot with the World Series trophy, just dragging around, just breaking it. That's literally what Frank did, and he's coming back. <laughs> it just just doesn't make any sense. But I, you know, I, I for his sake, I hope he's gone for his sake because like he doesn't seem happy. He doesn't seem happy with the players trying to to implement his scheme and obviously it's just not a good fit anymore and and that's just that's just kind of where we're at but did you have anything else you wanted to hit buddy before we call it night uh i think that's pretty much it and i you know i just i'm not saying i disagree with that i just i think you know 
if Frank can stay and he does stay and it looks like he will, I think there's adjustments that he can make, you know, tomorrow or even the next day. We'll see if they happen. But uh, I think it's just tough, man, moving on. I've always said, you know, organizations that go through coaches on just like a regular basis, those are ones, those are bad organizations. You know, you'll see like, I don't like the Kings or something. They'll have like six coaches in the last eight years or something. Like, you know, those are the kind of stuff you see from bad organizations. So there's like a, you know, there's a gray area here, but maybe it's his time. I, I'm not sure. I just, it, it's tough for me to kind of just get fully on that board yet. So we'll, we'll mm-hmm. see, but the Lakers, looks like the Lakers aren't there either. So we'll, we'll, we're going to, we're going we're gonna to play this out for another game. What a soap opera, man. All right, everybody. Uh, so I think this went on long enough that I'm probably just going to split it into two parts uh, since we got a couple days to kill here. But I'll put part one before Twitter spaces crashed on us. I'll put that on our uh, uh, our podcast feed for two, uh, for immediately. So give it about a half hour. And then I'll put the second part uh, for Thursday. Was that Friday morning? Um, but as always, guys, we appreciate your support. If you haven't subscribed yet to the State of the Lakers podcast, you can find the link on my Twitter page. I'm pretty sure Raj has it on his Twitter page as well. But we take the recordings from every one of these spaces and we put them on there. So if you missed any part of it, obviously we got uh, pretty deep into the Frank stuff (laughs) at the beginning. Um, uh, But like I said, we appreciate you guys' support. We will be back right after the final buzzer early game on Friday. I think it starts at like 3 o'clock your time, Raj. So uh, a really, a really early game, but we will be there. Is that, are you heading out of town for that one? Or are you going to be here for that one? No. So I leave Saturday morning. So I'll be okay, cool. Friday. Mm-hmm. All right. So we will see you guys after the Orlando game on Friday. Thanks everyone. Appreciate it.